Hey, everybody. Welcome to Stuff Said, the show where I, Greg Shegel, cartoonist, talk to other people in the worlds of cartooning, comics, etc., etc. On this episode, I am talking to Eric Stevenson. Eric Stevenson, if you don't know who that is, and it's entirely possible you don't know who that is. I have a feeling that every, every guest I have on this show is somebody that somebody else has no idea who it is. So Eric Stevenson, with, without any more preamble, is the publisher at Image Comics. He's also the writer, creator of the Image Comics series Nowhere Men, and he's somebody who's been in comics, specifically with Image Comics, essentially since it's, since, oof, this is going to be a tricky one, since its inception. Nailed it. And now, as the publisher, he is, he is the guy running the show at what is often referred to as Image Central, the main publishing center of Image Comics, as opposed to the various studios, Todd McFarlane Productions, Top Cow, Shadowline, etc. There's, there's Image Central, and Eric is the publisher there, which is to say he's, I don't know, what, how would you put it, the guiding, the gui- the guiding light? He, he makes the call. He decides if a book is going to get published by Image at this point. He's Anyway, he is the publisher of Image Comics. Have I said that enough times? And in that position, he is a busy dude. So I am I'm glad he, he was able to take the time, sit down with me and chat. And now you get to hear the fruits of that conversation. Here's me talking to the publisher at Image Comics... Eric Stevenson. Because we talked about Nowhere Men mm-hmm. and how there's all, you know, I'm seeing references to things and characters and some of the back matter, but I'm not seeing any of the rock and roll stuff. Right. That's It's all there. I just don't know the rock and roll stuff. Still able to enjoy it. Well, and some of it's kind of obscure too. So, I mean, there's some stuff that's obvious to people who are into to certain bands but then yeah. there's other stuff where it's like you may have never even heard of the band that that it's referencing oh, i'm, so. I'm certain i mean i remember going looking at your blog the, the now discontinued it sparkles mm-hmm. it, it hyphen sparkles <laughs> yeah it non hyphen sparkles was un- unfortunately taken but you would write pieces on music and the the music you were into mm-hmm. which brings the first question into in and it, it it's relevant to nowhere men where the catchphrase is science is the new rock and roll so rock and roll is a is a, a central identifier, a, a thing you're into. Mm-hmm. How'd you end up in comics and not in the music business? Um, or is that an, is that well, an obvious question? Well, no. Well, I mean, not not for lack of trying. Uh, <laughs> it, it's it's funny because when I was a kid, I, first I was into comics. Yeah. When when I was around seven years old, I got into comics after being resistant to the notion of comics for for a few years. Now, what what were you resisting against? Like, were you an older I, I, sibling? I think or? I was just given shitty comics. <laughs> like, my grandparents or aunts and uncles or whatever would bring comics over, and they were like, like Freedom Fighters. I remember being one of the one of the comics, which was it was this. You know, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's it's a '70s DC comic yeah. that where like Uncle Sam was yeah, Uncle was Sam the main and, guy. Yeah. There there are people out there who love that, but I, that was one that I was just like, oh no way. There was that. Uh, Superman family, Batman family, if either of those things showed up, I was just like, nope, not interested. A lot of like gold key comics. Right. 
like uh, funny animal stuff or just whatever goofy everything funny animal stuff uh thing based on a tv show uh, who, who originally Turok. did who did yeah who originally did turok and magnus and that stuff i, I think it might have been gold key was it gold or key? Dell was one of those two yeah but i think it was gold key well anyway yeah turok was one of them and, and yeah turok was like oh my gosh <laughs> but so they would they would bring me these things and i hated them and it's it's funny because nobody ever gave me a marvel comic and I, and I loved watching, there was that Spider-Man cartoon. Sure. And I liked watching that. But yeah, when we were moving from Kentucky to Washington, like on the last leg of the trip, they stopped. I, I mean, we, we were probably like 20 minutes from where from our final destination. And they stopped at like a 7-Eleven. And I, I, I was like pouting about something in the car. But my dad comes back with a comic and he says, hey, he says, you know, take a look at this. And he says, when I was a kid, I loved The Incredible Hulk. So he gives me this issue of the Incredible Hulk that was kind of a dull issue, but in that comic there was an ad for something called Marvel Con from 1976. Okay. And it has like every Marvel character on it, and it's you know probably about an inch by two inches yeah. is, is this image, but there's all these characters, and I was just transfixed by that, and I was like, oh man, I want to find out who all of these guys are, and I I, I read the Hulk comic a bunch of times. And then there were like, there, there were opportunities to, to get other comics when it was like, okay, well now, now I'm into these. And, and but I kind of figured out as like, okay, the Marvel comics, that's what I'm into. And so it, you, you really leapfrog the DC stuff. Like so many people come in, like I came in on DC super friends. Oh no, no, yeah. Yeah. Like for whatever reason, I, it's, if Batman or Superman was on the cover of it, it was like, Oh, I do not want that. The Batman was like the total magnet for me. If Batman was on it. So in my collection, I had just random Brave and the Bolts because Batman was there. And I don't know who he was teaming up yeah, with. Yeah, see, I think I associated Batman with the TV show, right. which was being rerun. In and the... not the Super Friends. Where right. He was... Yeah, I remember watching the Super Friends occasionally when I was a kid, and I, I just never liked it. I, I just, like, that Spider-Man cartoon, which I saw before any of that stuff, yeah. was a cooler cartoon than than Better that. music, certainly. Yeah, I guess. That weird, like, jazzy sort of, like, It, it also just, I don't, I don't know, there's something about, like, those Spider-Man cartoons that seemed more dangerous than the Super Friends. Sure, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it was it was more like an actual Spider-Man comic, I think. Yeah, there was certainly more darkness to it, right. for sure. But, yeah, no, yeah, so it was, it was just the Marvel stuff, because I, pretty early on, because I, I think the order I got stuff in was, like, this issue of the Hulk, an issue of Captain America, which, coincidentally, was Jack Kirby's first issue back on oh, Captain yeah. America, the, the Mad Bomb issue. Then like an issue of Marvel Team Up, and then an issue of Fantastic Four. And when, when I got to Fantastic Four, that where I was like, <laughs> okay, it's all over. These these are the guys for me because then I became really rabid about the Fantastic Four. Yeah, and that kind of informed the rest of my interest in comics. When did the music stuff kick? Was it is it the traditional like then you got to be thirteen and shifted your attention? No, that's the cliche. Well, see, here's the thing: is my dad played drums in bands when i was very young and around the time i was in first grade he kind of gave up being like a touring you know musician and it's like okay i've I've done this for so long it's it's clearly i'm I'm not going to 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 make it to the big time And, and and he joined the air force so the music stuff like i remember my dad playing drums and i remember my dad's you know friends that he was in the bands with coming around and uh like i have a very vivid memory from when I guess I was like two of, of my dad pulling the car over to the side of the road and, and saying, yeah, do you hear that? The Beatles just broke up. 
and because it had like come over the radio that right. the Beatles were finished. And oh, was he like pulling over like because he was in shock? And yeah, he yeah, sort yeah, of like, yeah. Because okay. yeah, my dad was a was a big Beatles fan. Sure. And uh, so yeah, for whatever reason that that sticks. I also, I also like really remember. Well, how does that not? It's like your dad is like disappointed. Like you don't see that sort of thing yeah, happen, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, um, I can imagine that imprinting pretty strongly. There, there's also <laughs> another time that, that that I remember getting in trouble for uh, uh, I had taken a piece of sandpaper and I was sanding my dad's cymbals on his drum set. <laughs> and and the, the the interesting thing about that is I remember that the music that was playing in the background was uh, there's a song by Paul McCartney called Uncle Admiral sure. and. and Uncle Albert? Uncle Albert, Admiral Halsey. Yeah, yeah. And, and th- so that's playing, and so I'm like that, and then my dad, like, freaking out. And did um, he come in, like, right when the song changed? <laughs> to, like, the, the up-tempo bit? When you're like, that'd be incredible. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know if it was that specific, but, yeah, I was I was doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing, but I, I remember that music going along with it. But, no, so there was a lot of music, and whenever we drove around, my mom and dad were constantly listening to whatever was popular during the – 70s sure and yellow constantly ELO, and <laughs> I, I think that's that's to a large degree why i like steely dan a lot and i think that they were on the radio a lot which is kind of a weird thing to think about it's, it's I, don't, I don't know how much attention you've ever paid to them but their their lyrics are very subversive because it's like kind of this you know smooth funky jazz type yeah. music but then the lyrics are like about you know guys hitting on you know much younger women and well there's that uh cousin dupree song oh like, yeah which yeah. was like the yeah the yeah the you know the the incest song yeah um no i know i know i know them as a band that people will talk about fans of that band sometimes seeming pretentious because mm-hmm. that music is so i don't know if it's in not intangible that's the wrong word but there's there's something to it that it's not you don't just judge it. If you really get into it, you start to analyze it and see oh, no, the pieces. Yeah, yeah. And it is this weird, like jazzy fusiony thing with these lyrics. That well, don't and it doesn't fit. sound like anything else, really. Right. That's which it's almost kind of its own genre. But it's um, sort of like almost like Randy Newman. Like you hear that, you can hear it one way, but then you can really listen to it, and it's right. a whole different can of can of music. Yeah, and I, some people hate them. Yeah. I, I like I I, I like I Randy Newman it. too. But yeah, with with their stuff, I think it's more. It's all just very happy music that. A lot of times, this tells a different story in the lyrics. But sure. so, as as a kid listening to that, and then for whatever reason, that resonated with me. To then, I got to a point in my thirties where I was like, "Oh yeah, I, what what about those guys?" And and I went back and started listening to them again. But yeah, no. So we would hear, we would drive out in the car. I would listen to music, and then I guess, I guess I would have been like eleven or twelve, whenever John Lennon put out his last album, and then uh, subsequently got shot and killed. That was when I was really getting into music. Where I was like, for whatever reason, like that, and there was a Paul McCartney album that had just come out before that called McCartney Two, and just because my dad was into the Beatles, that kind of like, yeah, you know, transferred into me. And plus, my dad had this big, awesome record collection of stuff from the '60s, and so I just started investigating that stuff, and I got really fascinated with the fact that, uh, like, the punk and new wave stuff that was going on, kind of around the same time, where where you had people like. The Jam and Elvis Costello and even The Clash, who it's like you listen to that stuff and you're like, oh, this doesn't sound too different from what The Kinks and The Who and The Rolling Stones and guys like that were yeah. doing. And so I started reading a lot about music and, and, and I just loved the way that like different things connected together where I was like, oh, this is similar to this. And if I like that, I might like this. And I just got really into specifically 60s music. 
and then and then basically from there into just all kinds of stuff but were you playing anything were you playing instruments at all or were you just really academic about it it First, I was just interested in music and, and like music, and then I guess around the time I was, I was in junior high, I got a guitar and, and started playing guitar. Are you writing songs? Not at that point. Okay. No, I was, I was just I was just learning to play and, and learning to play other people's songs. And in high school, I started getting the idea about writing songs and like, oh, I need to, I, I want to be in a band. But at that time, I lived in Germany. Uh, I was going to uh, an American school in in Germany and. Like putting together a band, just it, it's like I tried a couple of times and it and it never worked out. Yeah. So then, when we moved back to the United States, we moved to California, and then I that that was when I got you know started putting bands together and right. and, and which were usually of the garage band variety. And I think it took two or three tries before we did something where we were actually going out and performing for people like at parties and stuff. What were the names of these bands? I love hearing these kinds of things. Um, you, you definitely remember them, right? Well, one of them is actually in the second issue of Nowhere Men where, where Daryl Fletcher is walking along singing a song. Right. That, that is one of our songs, which is a song that I wrote. And then the band is called The Marble Index. Okay. And The Marble Index is also an album by Nico. Okay. So somewhere around the time when I was... Uh, I was in bands and doing that stuff. I got back into comics again because I kind of, I, I read comics up through high school and then I guess around my junior year in high school, I, I kind of, it, it wasn't like that I was like, oh, fuck comic books. I, I just kind of, they weren't interesting to me. Yeah. Like Secret Wars was happening. That's that, that was the state of comics at the time and everything I liked was gradually getting less interesting. It's so, uh, Secret Wars is a thing I've talked about, not on the on the show, but in general. I mean, when I was at Marvel, Brevoort and I would talk about Secret Wars. And it was very much, there's a generational line with Secret Wars. And there are people that when Secret Wars showed up, it's the worst thing. Uh-huh. And then there's a bunch of us that love Secret Wars. Because it was this weird distillation. You know, but I remember Brevoort saying, like, no, it wasn't, you know, there was no secret identities. There was none of the stuff that made Marvel Comics, Marvel Comics. They were action figures. Right. Which they were. Well, to me, it was just not a... It's, it's funny because I, I was looking forward to it initially. Sure. And, and like, I loved when, when Spider-Man gets the black costume. Yeah. Totally on board for that. I thought that that was like... Like, Roger Stern's run on Spider-Man, I think, is like one of the most underrated runs on that book. That was great. Uh, I loved what, you know, that the Fantastic Four came back and She-Hulk was there and the thing was gone. So it's like... And that stuff happened before Secret Wars actually started, which it was like, oh, Secret Wars is going to be awesome. <laughs> and then when Secret Wars actually started coming out, I was like, this is actually kind of boring. And the art isn't very good. And it's it just, I just didn't like it. It's so funny because it really imprints on like like the next generation down. It really, you know, me, Jay Ferber, like all these guys right. just like lock into this thing as yeah. Spider-Man beat the entire X-Men. Like that's a thing that you can you can look at and go. Yeah, see, I, I think I'd, I think I'd given up by that point. I, it, it just I, like I said, I was living in Germany. I, I, I used to get my comics from Mile High through their nice subscription service, which was advertised in the middle of of so many Marvel comics in the eighties. But I would get a box of comics every month, and it got to the point where I was the point where I stopped actually actually buying comics was I, I had like a stack of those boxes that I hadn't opened. Yeah, and. I just didn't care. And it's like, I, I pulled them out and I was like, even the fantastic four that John Byrne was doing at the time, I was like, Oh yeah, I'm just not interested in this anymore. It happens. But yeah. So while, uh, you know, fast forward like a few years into the nineties and, or the early, I guess it would have been 89, 90. You find your way back. 
Yeah, and I don't remember what it was, but like it's funny. I was talking to someone about this the other day because there's a whole website devoted to uh, why New Mutants 98 is valuable. Okay. I think it's called NewMutants98.com. Right, this and is the first Deadpool. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's that comic. I guess is like valued at something like three hundred dollars. Which is upsetting because I had two copies and my comic collection got stolen. So uh, well, I, I, I had two no copies and, and and I I I think I gave them to somebody at some point. <laughs> but but that the 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 whole website is predicated on the idea that nobody actually bought that comic book, which is insane. Yeah, because uh, we each have two co- had two copies. Right. Well, and I also remember, like like I remember when I first got back into comics. It, it must have been through the Fantastic Four somehow. Probably, well, yeah, Walt Simonson was doing Fantastic sure. Four. I'm sure that is what brought me back. But anyway, I, go, I remember going to a comic store and saying, hey, what else is good? And they're like, oh, well, Todd McFarlane is doing Spider-Man. And I was like, I've never been a Spider-Man guy. And they're like, oh, there's this guy Rob Liefeld, and he's doing the New Mutants. And I was like, uh, yeah, I don't know about that. I never liked the New Mutants. And yeah, this stuff looks kind of weird. And yeah, they just kind of walked me through everything. But then I started reading X-Men again just because I had been an X-Men guy before. And then they did that Extinction Agenda crossover. Wow, that's really, that's kind of, that's like post-Inferno, post-Fall the yeah, Mutants. Yeah, yeah. Like post um, all the really good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think my first issue of X-Men that I started reading when I came back was the one with Wolverine, Captain America, and Black Widow on the cover. Okay. And I was I, I was drawn to Jim Lee's artwork because he kind of reminded me of John Byrne. I can see that. But, yeah, and like John Byrne was doing Avengers West Coast, which I was yeah. like, okay, I'm there for that. Yeah. But anyway, in the Extinction Agenda, the first issue of New Mutants was Rob, and I think Art DeBear inked him on that, and it looked great. And I was just like, oh, man, this guy's stuff isn't weird at all. I totally like this guy's stuff. And uh, Now, Louise was on it, right? Yep. Yeah. And then I think the next two issues were, like, done off of Rob's layouts by some other guy. Okay. But for whatever reason, I was on the New Mutants train at that point. And then when number 98 came out, like, I went to my regular shop, and they were like, oh, yeah, that's gone. And I was like, huh. So then I went to like my, my, my standby shop for when they didn't have things at the regular shop. They were sold out there. And I actually wound up spending an entire evening driving around, like progressively further and further out of town to find New Mutants 98. And uh, actually, I think I may be wrong, but it may have been New Mutants 98 and Fantastic Four, whichever, uh, 248, 247, yeah. whichever one was the first part of the Art Adams three-parter. Okay, oh, the case of the the alternate Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. I, I think they may have come out the same day because there was one other comic I was looking for. But but so those comics, I'm driving around, and finally it's like I, I lived in a place called Riverside, and I wound up going to a, a town called Upland, which was like about a half hour outside of Riverside because, I, I, again, I'm like going further and further out trying sure. to find this comic. And I got there. And and they did have them, and then I, I found out that the reason they had them was because the guy there didn't like Rob, and he gave me this long dissertation on what a horrible person I was because I was buying this comic, and I was like, whatever, I'll, I will have two, <laughs> and and I loved it. I, I still, it's like, New Mutants ninety eight is a very cool comic. It, it was like one of the first comics in a while where it's like, bam, you get Gideon, you get Deadpool, you get Domino. It's it's like here's all this new stuff that wasn't in the book before. Yeah, and I remember reading it at the time, and I was I guess I was in junior high school, and it was awesome. Like that stuff, and I mean, I wasn't a Spider-Man guy either, so I wasn't reading that. But I was definitely reading New Mutants, and I was reading X Factor, and I don't think Wills had started on it, but he might have. And just look at like the way he—it was probably maybe a little bit later, but the way he drew Iceman, like the way he made his powers, it was like everything right. about it. I was like this is, yeah. This is wicked. Now, you know, going back to the Spider-Man thing, too, it's funny because, like, I read Spider-Man. Like, I remember there's that Juggernaut issue that 
Roger Stern and John Romita Jr. did the Nothing Can Stop the Juggernaut. I think it's like 228 or 229, something like that. You're better at that than I am. Because that was like, that was like, John Romita Jr. hadn't been on the book for too long at that point. And it like had, like Madam Webb was around that time. And then shortly thereafter was the, the Hobgoblin showed up. Around that point, I really was interested in the book. And then when they did the black suit, I was really into that. Just because I thought that was like a gutsy thing to do. Yeah. And and I remember when I came back to comics. Well, I remember like seeing Spider-Man on, on the rack when I wasn't reading comics. Like if I went to a magazine shop or whatever. And he was in his blue and red costume again. I was yeah. like, oh. oh. Yeah. <laughs> you had this cool thing going with the black costume. Why, why would you get rid of that? Yeah. But so, yeah, when I came back, it was just like, oh, yeah, that's just, they're just back to regular Spider-Man again. So at this point, you're essentially an adult, right? Or yeah, adult-ish. Yeah. So now is it is it a competition in your mind career-wise? Like, all right, there's avenues in music, there's avenues in comics, or have you even considered the avenues in comics? No, at this point, yeah, at this point I was, we, we had this band that I was thinking, oh, man, we could make this work. I think any time when you're, when you were like, okay, I'm going to write songs and, and, we're going to do our own stuff. I think you're, at that point you're like, okay, we, we want to do this. And I definitely spent a lot of time daydreaming and kind of fantasizing about, okay, I want to be in, in a band and I want to be successful. But we would record, like I said, we would play parties and we would record that stuff. And then we would listen to it. And I was like, ah, that does not sound like the music that I listen to and enjoy. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so there was that going on. And then at a certain point with the comics, I would read stuff that I would be disappointed by and think, oh, well, why didn't they do this or this or this? And so I started writing letters saying, oh, well, what if you did this and what if you did that? And at a certain point, I was just like, yeah, I think I could actually do this. So I started focusing some a, a lot of time on like pitching for comics. And so alongside with that, like I remember reading a Mark Grunewald piece because he used to do a thing on breaking into comics and Marvel Age. And at one point he did something that was about, you know, you should get experience doing stuff in comics that isn't writing comics. Like try writing for fanzines, try writing for some of these magazines. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to write for comic book magazines. And so I, I sent, like, I remember like writing to Amazing Heroes and Comics Interview and get there like, yeah, we're not interested in having you write stuff for us. We've got our own guys. And then Wizard came out and it was like a brand new magazine. And like the first issue... I thought it looked, it, it's, I, I mean, I guess it was revolutionary at the time, but to me, the production values on it just looked terrible. And I was like, I think I could work for this one. I, I think that this one is the one that will, will be interested. And so I wrote to them and said, hey, I live in Southern California. There are guys around here all the time doing conventions. I can go and interview guys all yeah. the time. And they were like, yes, go interview guys. And the first guy I went to interview was Jim Valentino. And uh, I mean, this would have been like 19... This would have been 1991. So he would have been on Guardians of the Galaxy. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, because I, I, I loved his Guardians of the Galaxy. So did stuff. I. It was super cool. Yep. And uh, so I went and did that, and I had told him, I said, yeah, I want to get into doing comics. And he and I, like, developed a, a, a friendship where I would go out to his studio. And then I was, like, the more, like, when I would go out to his studio, I was like, oh, this seems cool. He's, he has his own little office here. He comes in here and writes. Yeah. This just seems awesome. And I think that was the point where I was like, eh, I think I can do this. This other thing seems more like a, like a long-term commitment to possible failure. <laughs> so I 
that was the point where I I was just like that that was the switch. And certainly timing wise, I mean that's when comics were really on this uptick of you know there was there was money to be made. In terms yeah. of like looking at it as a career, I don't think that I was even aware of that. Really, in terms of the money, not even the money, just the fact that at by ninety one, Todd had launched Spider Man, right? Yeah, that was right around the yeah. I think Spider Man number one. Either yeah, it must, I think Spider Man number one had come out when I met Jim. So at that point, things are like even even it must have been even in Wizard number one where people were talking about because that Spider Man was on the cover. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. The, yeah. Definitely. Okay, yeah. Pad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So at that point. Whether you know there's a lot of money, it's still it's big. Like comics felt big. Holy crap! This is important stuff is happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Although at the same time, it's funny because I remember. On the other hand, you know, there was Jesus Jones and EMF. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> like, all right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Actually, 1991 was not a particularly good year for, <laughs> for music. Although at the same time, is that I think that's is that the year Nirvana started? Maybe, but we didn't get to Miami where I was, for another couple of years. Yeah, because that, that was, it's funny, that, that was one of those pull over to the side of the road moments for me. It was like, I remember when Smells Like Teen Spirit came on. Yeah. Because there was just so much shit on the radio. And uh, that started, and, and it, I was just like, whoa, wait a minute. This this does not sound like everything else I just heard on the radio. And I like pulled over and like listened to the whole song. And I was like, oh, man, I want to know more about these guys. That was a cool song. Uh, yeah, Jesus Jones, not so much. <laughs> oh, and EMF, oof. Yeah, just those, those are some bad memories. Yeah, it's it's like yeah, it's uh, it's it's like there was so much, and it's like I really love British music, but there was so much like bad British music that came out of like that nineteen ninety nineteen ninety one. But then somebody could point to Octung Baby and say there was that. Yeah, you two people will do that. Yeah, or, or automatic, not out, it was pre, um, out of time. REM, but that's not really that's a whole different yeah. animal. Yeah, and I mean, I, I actually remember liking Out of Time at the time, and I. I like Octum Baby, I think I kind of liked. I've always gone kind of back and forth on I'm just on, flashing on back to what was happening in high school. Right. And I was like, those are the things that people had. That no, and, you know, and the, it's... The John, the, the John Bon Jovi Blaze of Glory oh, uh, yeah. Young Guns 2 soundtrack. No, yeah. I mean, because when I got <laughs> kind of the point where I got interested in, where I was like, oh, man, there's a bunch of cool new music coming out. was like when Blur started. And I know there are, I mean, like the laws were around. Yeah, see, then, I don't even know. Yeah, they do that song that uh, isn't there a band called Sixpence, None the Richer. Sure. That, that they did a, a song called "There She Goes," which is a cover right. of the Law song "There She Goes," which is much better than Sixpence, None the Richer. I know there's two versions of that on the "So I Married an Ex Member" soundtrack. But I don't yeah, know it's if probably both. Yeah, I don't know if either one is the Laws. Maybe it is. Hmm. Off the check, I have it somewhere. Neither here nor there. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, there was some of that stuff. But no, it's funny because my idea about working in comics and like how much money there was to be made came almost entirely from an interview with John Byrne where he had said how much he got paid per page. And I was like, and it was like ridiculously low because, you know, it would have been like early 80s. And, and so I was like, oh, so that's what you would make. And, you know, I was like trying to figure out, ah, could I make a living doing that? So yeah, in the in the 90s, I was like, still going by that, you know, estimate of what you would make to get to right. work in comics. So you're hanging out with Jim Valentino. Yep. And and the other thing the the other thing that's weird too about the 90s is that even though all, there were all these cool things coming out from Marvel at the time, I still looked at that stuff and I was like, uh, I don't really want to write Marvel comics. And I know definitely know I don't want to write DC comics. And 
that was what got me so excited about image early on was that they were like, Hey, we're going off and we're doing all of this stuff on our own. And I yeah. was like, that, that sounds exactly like what I want because I have all these ideas for things I want to do that are not, you know, Spider-Man or Superman and were or the you, X-Men. Were you on board with, with Dark Horse at the time and all these other, cause you know, Valiant was there and. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I, I had, I had, uh, I, I, I still have the thing that I sent to Jim Shooter saying, hey, I want to find out about what your submissions guidelines are. And he actually like sent back like a – it's like typed and yeah. then signed by Jim Shooter. Which I have one of those. I was just like, oh, man, this is so cool. Mine is from Defiant Comic. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Valiant Mach 2. Yeah, that's right. No, it's, it's, yeah, it's funny because like I picked up the Valiant stuff because it was new-ish. I yeah. mean, because I, you know, it's it's when they first launched, it was like Magnus and Solar. It was all the gold key stuff. But see, those were the like the gold key things that I was never given. Right. I was just given Turok, and so yeah, I was like, oh, okay, these these seem cool. Dark Horse, I remember I kept buying Dark Horse Presents, trying to like, oh, this this stuff is different. I want to try and get into this. Yeah, and I just yeah. couldn't. So I never read that stuff until much later, and I started reading Concrete. I'm like, oh, this is really good. No, oh, no, yeah, I love concrete awesome. now, but like, like yeah. at the time, it's like a, a guy in my early twenties. I was just like, yeah, you have yeah, to be ready for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, because I don't think that I think that when Frank Miller started doing Sin City, then I, I was like, oh, okay, I'll buy this. Yeah, that was late. That was later in the nineties. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Well, it was it was right before Legend, which would have been what ninety five. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Uh, I feel like I that he, he and John Byrne started doing the stuff in. Right, Dark so it was, presents, it was before like, Legend. 92, 93, was I it guess. that early? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I can't remember at all. Yeah. I didn't write that down so, in my so, notes. Some, sometime in the 90s. So was Jim Valentino your was Jim Valentino your way to Rob, or was Wizard the way to Rob? No, Jim was, because okay. Jim, when, when, when Image started, Jim called me up and told me, because he, he, he calls up and says, hey, what, what, what would you say if I told you that me... Rob Liefeld, Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, Eric Larson, Wills Portacio, and I think at the time he said George Perez. He says, anyway, we're all starting a company together. And I was like, I, I would think that is awesome. <laughs> and he says, well, yeah, that's, that's what's happening. And then he kind of clarified. He says, yeah, George isn't a sure thing. You know, Chris Claremont may be getting involved. You know, the Kirbys have given us their blessing. Uh, yeah, we're totally going to, you know, do this whole thing. And I was like, yeah, that, that sounds awesome. And then he's like, look, me and Rob are going to be moving into a studio together and I'm going to need an assistant. Do you want to come work as my assistant? I was like, yeah, I totally want to do that. And I was working at the library at the time. So I just, I, I had my schedule adjusted so that like a couple times a week I would go and work in, you know, the extreme office, which I, I actually, I went like went on the weekend and helped move in. And that was like the first time I'd ever met Rob. But yeah, so I was going in and I was helping Jim both on Guardians of the Galaxy and on Shadowhawk. And like, like ultimately, what was my way in with Rob was was weird, weirdly enough, Youngblood number one came out, which I was really, really excited about because I don't know if he he did a, there was a magazine called Comic Scene. Yeah, yeah, I used to buy that. And magazine. he had done an interview about Youngblood in there, which made Youngblood sound like just the most groundbreaking comic <laughs> ever. I, I, I think I read that interview over and over and over. And I, was, I could not have been more excited for that book. And it came out and I was just like, there's no way I can express my disappointment with <laughs> Youngblood number one. And, you know, I, I went to Jim and I was like, yeah, this was not good. This was really, really bad. And 
Jim was like, yeah, I, I didn't like it either. And he says, but you know, Rob put a lot of work into that. And it's like, all right, well, yeah, I said, it looks like Rob drew it, but it's just not very good. Right. And so later that day, it must have been like the end of that that day. Jim comes, because I was like working out of Jim's office. Jim comes back and he says, hey, come in here and talk to Rob. I want you to tell him what you just told me about Youngblood number one. At which point I'm just like, whoa, what? And so we go down to Rob's office and we sit down on the couch and he's like, yeah, tell Rob what you told me about Youngblood. And I'm sitting there and I was like, well, I, I can either be honest and, and, and this will be like the last time I ever come in here. Or I can be honest, and and maybe the next one will be better. And I was like, or I, or I can lie, and both those those are also the two options. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I was just like, yeah, I didn't like it. And and Rob was like, yeah, I'm hearing that from a lot of people. Why 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 didn't you like it? And I, I just like went through through the list, and and a lot of it came to I mean, you know, there's a Youngblood hardcover where Joe Casey like redialogued it and shuffled the pages around and everything, which I think reads much better. Had that comic come out in 19, you know, 92, mm-hmm. I, I, I think Youngblood would have been judged a lot differently. But yeah, I just went through what I thought were the inadequacies with the with the scripting and like, you know, obviously there were there were parts of the artwork that I was like, yeah, it, you know, it looks like this could have been done a little bit better, and there are inconsistencies here and there. And, uh, you know, Rob is just sitting there not talking to me. He's at his drawing board, just kind of, you know, drawing and listening. And he's like, go on, go on. And, I, and it's like, I just feel like I'm like talking forever. And I was like, oh, yeah, I am so fucked right now. And uh, then I was like, yeah, and that's it basically. And he's like, well, why, why don't you be the editor on Youngblood from now on? He's like, I'm going to get rid of Hank Canals and I'm going to start writing it myself. And he says, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the book and, and, and you'll be the editor. And I was like, okay. And so then there was this period where I was working kind of for Jim and for Rob. And, and just then eventually, like the amount of work that I was doing for Rob kind of took over. Took over. I guess didn't talk about that period in time, probably mm-hmm. forever. Cause right. It's fascinating. And Rob's a fascinating character. And he continues to be. And Jim is an interesting guy who's done a whole bunch of stuff. But the things that I'm interested in, one of them is, is hitting this theme that I, I feel like is, is fun to hit. You know, it was an upstart company. Rob was young. Mm-hmm. I mean, was he even 26 at He's like point? 24, yeah. 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 You know, Rob and I are, were both born the same year. Actually, I think maybe Rob was born a year before me. Because I think he was 24 and I was 23. So Did it, did that, did it feel rock and roll is the question. Like, did it feel from the outside as a, as a kid seeing this happen? At, it, at that point, yeah. like right there at the very beginning... No. Okay. It did later. When like, things were blowing up. Yeah, when things were blowing up. And, like, I remember we did the, the extreme tour. Right. And, like, I think we went to Hanley's in New York, mm-hmm. which is funny because that was the, I'd never been to New York before. I had been living in California for, for years at that point. And I think we went, and it, it was in the winter. And <laughs> I did not dress appropriately at all. I think I went in, like, a hoodie and a T-shirt. That sounds about right. Because that was what I was wearing at the time was, like, a lot of hoodies and T-shirts. But I remember like going to Hanley's, we all went in a limousine and we all got out and there was a gigantic line of people, which was there. They, they were all there for Rob, but everyone yeah. else was like, oh, this is cool. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. There's a gigantic mob of people. And we signed and signed and signed and signed. And then you know, I think we signed until like past midnight. 
And then finally we left. Like almost everybody left, but like Rob stayed to continue signing. But like, so we were all like, you know, going back into the limousine and there was like a crowd of people like yelling and stuff like that. It was like, yeah, this is kind of, you know, this, rock this and is kind of rock and roll. <laughs> and, and I mean, that particular, that extreme tour, because we went from like New York to, we went from New York to Chicago to Colorado. I don't remember if there was a stop after that. It may have just been those three on the first extreme tour type thing. But there was like a tour program. I guess the very fact that it's a tour is right, really right. rock yeah. and roll. But no, so like each of these things, it's like we're in New York and we're in this great hotel. And like, uh, because we're a bunch of young guys in, in our early 20s, we're all drinking. Like I specifically remember, like we stayed in a suite in the Four Seasons Hotel. Like just gigantic. Like I think we basically had like almost an entire floor. Everyone's just like, you know, on a couch or a bed or whatever. And it's, I think there was like a dozen of us on that tour. But everybody other than Rob went out to some bar and it's like me, Marat Michaels, Brian Murray, Norm Ratmund, uh, Dan Frega. It's just a big gang of us. And we went to this bar and we just drank and drank and drank and drank and then go back to the hotel. And then we like emptied all of the, you know, the mini bars in the suite. And, uh, and it was just this nuts. I mean, we were drinking until like the next morning. And like, I remember going to the signing we had to do at Moondogs where I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I have never felt worse in my entire <laughs> life. And and so that's the sort of thing. I mean, I would imagine that's what, you know, that, that's probably the closest I will ever get to rock to, to to like the, you know, that I I don't think that's probably diff, too different from the, you know, you know, rock tour sort of things. Yeah. I mean, I guess one step more would just be trashing the hotel room. Trashing the hotel room and and you know, and, and the groupies of yeah. which there were none no on groupies, the extreme huh? tour. Yeah. <laughs> the stuff that Extreme was doing at the time content of the books and all that relative to the kind of work you ended up doing on your own, whether it was four letter worlds or long hot summer, which people probably don't even know are things, but long hot summer was a original graphic novel. Was Jamie, a, Jamie McKelvey's first work in comics. And it was, and it's a, it's a, it's essentially, I don't know if slice of life story is the way to do it, but it's, it's, people talking and going yep. about their lives and one guy's a jerk and you know, they're friends. Yep. It's like a friendship yep. story, relationships and all that stuff to look at that side by side. And they're years apart Yep. to be fair. But at what point was, was that starting to firm up in your brain as the kinds of stories you wanted to tell? And that's different even than nowhere men, but even nowhere men is different enough from a lot of comics in the early nineties, not to just cast a, a light on extreme, but that's where you were. Well, I mean, the thing about the extreme stuff is like, and obviously you were you were able to look at it from the outside and be critical of it. You were able to tell Rob Youngblood had these problems, so you. Oh yeah, you and, were and, it's, and that was a conversation we had over the entire time I worked there. But the worst thing for me when I was at Extreme was that I, I basically didn't know what I was doing. You know, we we were talking earlier about how you were like Brian came on. You're like you look at your stuff and like this guy knows what he is doing. Yeah, a real what, understanding of the media. Yeah, yeah. When I first started doing stuff for extreme <laughs> i was the polar opposite of that it was like i had a tremendous <laughs> amount of enthusiasm for it but i was really swept up in and like rob's ideal of what comics should be which i, I don't necessarily think is a bad ideal and it's in you know he, he wanted very action-oriented stuff and so i was just like we're doing action-oriented stuff and i kind of at a certain point was like i don't want this stuff to be too 
intellectual for one of a better word because i want this to appeal to kids yeah and pretty much everything i did was like me trying to be like chris claremont you know it was like you know lots of wordy captions but not as well done as chris claremont <laughs> it, it was basically like me regurgitating all the comics that i loved as a kid but in the worst way possible it was like you know there's an expression where it's like oh he wants to be chris claremont in the worst way and he is <laughs> yeah. well that, that 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 was what i was doing and it would change it was like sometimes i wanted to be chris claremont sometimes i wanted to be keith giffen and jean marc dematis dematis you know sometimes i wanted to be john byrne you know it was like all these it was kind of just hopscotching around and like oh man yeah this seems cool we'll do this yeah but then also filtered through you know rob basically came up with the plots for this stuff like every now and then i would have a little bit of input but mainly i was just putting dialogue down and i was trying to like okay how would this guy do that but then jeff matsuda and i uh, were given the chance to start a book called new men sure and i think that was where i was just like okay i kind of want to like make this more me and and which i don't think that we necessarily succeeded with although they're like and definitely jeff and i didn't succeed with it i think it was when todd knock and i started working together because todd was like brand new and we really wanted like he really wanted to make his you know uh, presence on the book known and we just started doing weird stuff in the book like there's there's an, an issue that uh like there's a splash page of a cheeseburger <laughs> and just like weird storytelling things yeah that some of them worked some of them didn't but that was kind of me like figuring it out but the best thing that happened to me was well there are two things one i was really into stray bullets when that started that coming out awesome and around the time the first hardcover came out uh david lapham was at comic-con in san diego and i went over to get it signed and to get a sketch from him and you know i'm telling him hey i work at extreme blah 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 and he's like let me ask you something if, if you're so into stray bullets how, how come you do the kind of comics you guys do at extreme yeah and i was just like well you know not everything has to be the same but I, that just really stuck with me. And I was just like, huh. Because at the time, I was like really into that. I was into Optic Nerve. I was into Kane by Paul Grist. <laughs> There's just like all of this stuff. And it's like through Keith Giffen, I had met Robert Lauren Fleming. And he had done this great miniseries uh, called Underworld okay. from the 80s. That It's like he'd sent me copies of it. And it's it's like I was like, huh, yeah, I am into all this other Did stuff. the Milkman guy too? Or am I thinking Reed Fleming? Of... No, okay. that, that's the Reed Fleming that's... Did yeah, just, Boswell. Okay, I just the Fleming kicked yeah. in. But anyway, I was like, yeah, the stuff that I read really isn't like the stuff that I am doing. Yeah. So a little later, Alan Moore started writing Supreme. And I'm getting these Alan Moore scripts in, and I'm like reading through those. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This is how you do it. <laughs> and I hadn't like really, again, I wasn't a DC guy. I'd read like, you know, random things but so i went back and started reading alan's stuff from dc like the first thing i read was like whatever happened to the man of tomorrow mm. and i was like oh this superman can be cool this yeah. is this, this is not bad and, and i read watchmen and you know reading watchmen i think if i'd have read that as a kid i don't know what i would have thought but like reading it in like my mid-20s for the first time i was like oh this is like a textbook for how to do comics right yeah i read it in college so i was 19 or 20 and i i can't imagine how you i don't think i would have understood it i don't know if i understood it at 20 i can't imagine reading that well it, when it i was 12 when it, it was definitely out. repays multiple readings but yeah just in terms of like storytelling techniques and and things that he did in there so a lot of which i mean there's things that he 
does that some of them are very brilliant. Some of them are just like comics 101 done really, really mm -hmm. well. But yeah, so that, and then that led me to go back and read his Swamp Thing stuff. And yeah, for whatever reason, I, I don't think I'd ever read Batman Year One or Daredevil Born Again up to that point either. And so I like read that stuff and I was like, oh, okay, this, this, all of that kind of like changed the way I look at it stuff. And the most immediate kind of way that resulted in my work was Chris Bross and I were doing New Men. And like the first issue that I did of that was like not immediately after consuming all of that stuff, but it was like when I sat down to write that, I was like, okay, I'm in all of the, like I said, all of the extreme stuff had been uh, very raw plot driven. And even the stuff like once I was doing New Men with Jeff Matsuda and Todd Nock was like, okay, I'm giving them a plot. I will do the dialogue later. But so for the Chris Sprouse thing, I was like, okay, I'm working with Chris. Chris is awesome. I'm going to write this full script and I'm going to do this the right way. And it's like, and I put like, you know, again, it was like thinking of, of the, the words and the pictures and how they work together and, and what I wanted to do and things that I wanted to pay off later. And I did that and I was like, huh, I, I, I'm actually happy with how this turned out. Mm -hmm. and, and, and a lot of people have told me over there, it's like, oh man, I, I read those three issues you did with Chris Browse and they were like really great. Like a huge like leap from what you'd been doing like before. A paradigm shift. Right. Sure. But then that got canceled like three issues into to doing it. And I mean, Extreme just kind of, Extreme became awesome. I wasn't doing anything for awesome. That was like, you know, Alan was writing Youngblood and Supreme. Jeff Loeb was writing the other stuff and I was just editing stuff. And I think at that point I was, I was just starting to think about, okay, I want to do comics. I want to do stuff that is mine. And I mean, that, that was, I think it was right after like awesome shutdown that I was like, okay, I need to figure out what I want to do. And I, I want to do my own stuff. And that was when I started thinking about nowhere, man. Um, oh, really? that early. Oh yeah, yeah. Like late. That would have been like 98. Then at what point does your relationship with Eric Larson kick in? I, I, we talked the other day about how I was reading old, dragon issues and i found in the letters oh, page, a i, I letter met from you. eric before i met rob i actually met eric at a convention pretty pretty early on before i was working in comics and and i'd gone up to him and i was getting stuff signed by him and, and then i was like yeah i want to write comics he's like well you're never gonna write anything i draw and i was like nice <laughs> um but for whatever reason we we we, we still kind of struck up a, a friendship aside from that but because th then He'd come to Extreme for whatever reason, and I was like, oh, hey, yeah, I met you at this convention, and we got to talking, and then we both liked similar music. He, he was a big Amy Mann yeah, fan, he's a big Amy and guy. I was into that, and there's another, there's a British band called The Beautiful South that uh, we both liked, and we got to talking about that stuff, and then we just started talking to each other on the phone, and uh, yeah, and I mean... You guys wrote together. You wrote World's well, yeah, well, well, Comic Magazine, and... Well, before that, Freak Force, which when when Awesome shut down, Eric was like, hey, he says, I'll, I'll, I'll help you out with some work. I'm doing this three-issue Freak Force thing. Why don't, why don't you and I like co-script that? And I was like, okay. We did that. Then we wound up, I mean, we actually did like his entire run of Wolverine was me and him doing Wolverine under, under his name, basically. Right. And, and some of that stuff, there's some stuff that is more him, and then there's some that are, is like completely me. And then out of that, like we were pitching constantly, the two of us were pitching series to Marvel. One of them was a Spider-Man series where he had aged in real time. So it was just like dumpy, middle-aged, you know, sure. Peter Parker. But the one that took was World's Greatest Comic Magazine with Fantastic Four, which, you know, we, we 
had had the best intentions with that in that we were like, oh, we were going to fill in what happened between Fantastic Four 100 and 101 and kind of make it what 100 should have been. Which was also kind of a thing at the time. There was Untold Tales of Spider-Man. There was X-Men right. Hidden Years. It was a thing yep, that yep. was in the zeitgeist. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing that kind of what we wanted to do was there were, there were all of these unused Spider-Man or Kirby pieces out there. Like there's Spider-Man running from the Sentinels. There was these two prints, like a Fantastic Four print and a Doctor Doom print that Kirby had done. So there was all this Kirby art that had not been actually used in the comics that we were like, every issue will have one of these pieces of Kirby art in it. So it'll be a tribute to Stan and Jack, but at the same time, we will also be using this stuff. And Marvel ultimately didn't go for it because they would have then had to cut a deal with you know, the, the Kirby. Kirby. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, it's like, that's that's something that was like fun to do, but... You know, ultimately, I, th- I think it was kind of a, a pretty flawed project. And eventually, in the course of Image Comics, Eric became publisher, and you were essentially his his right hand. Right. Well, again, although, this is again another leap. Yeah, because before that, I had, I had while I was still doing World's Greatest Comics Magazine with Eric, the marketing guy, whoever that was for Image, was let go, and I forget who I, how I found that out. Because it wasn't through Eric, but like somebody t- well, told was Jim, the publisher. Jim, Jim Valentino was okay. the publisher, but yeah. So I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for this because I had at that point I've been, I was doing, I was doing uh, writing on a freelance basis, but I also worked at a at a comic book webzine for a shop called Next Planet Over. They were like it was nextplanetover.com, and they were owned by a larger dot com called eHoppies.com, and I was on staff in this place. And, and I would go in every day and like manage the content. And then I would go home at night and write comics. But yeah, so I was like, you know what? I want to, I want to, I, I, at this point I had developed a lot of ideas about how I thought comics could be sold better. So I went in and I talked to Jim and I, I wound up getting that job and I was the marketing director for a few years. And then at, at some point, you know, Eric became publisher and he was like, I'm going to be publisher, but because I'm up in Oakland and you guys are in Orange, California, I'm going to need like a guy on the ground there. So you're going to be the executive director and we're going to hire a new marketing guy. I was like, fine. And then after doing that for, I don't, I don't think we, that, that system lasted maybe six months. And then Eric was like, you know what? The office is going to need to move up here, which he actually told me like right at the beginning, he, he had said that like Todd and Mark had asked if I was comfortable with the idea of potentially moving up to the Bay Area. If, if that was necessary. And I was like, yeah, I would love to get out of like the Los Angeles area. But so yeah, we moved up and then Eric and I, there was, I mean, from like 2004 until 2008, Eric and I shared an office together, you know, where we were basically like, I mean, we were, we were both kind of doing the same job. Like executive director was just kind of like co-publisher. Right. So in that position, was there, was there like an editorial mission was a publishing mission rather where you guys are like here's what we want to do i mean i don't know how the regimes change in terms of the publishers at image but you know at at marvel you get a new editor-in-chief and in theory there's a there's a shift or at dc there's a shift when a new a new regime comes well i know in. i mean i mean eric i think eric wanted to do more superhero comics definitely but i think that the main goal was just that there were Eric was very critical about some of the stuff that had happened during Jim's regime. And I think that he was like, okay, I'm, I want to do the opposite of that. Hmm. So he was putting out different types of books. And like one thing that was very big with Eric was like 
if, if a book wasn't doing well, it would just get canceled without, like if it was a miniseries, it would get canceled without wrapping up. And Eric was like, we're going to, you know, we're just going to take that hit. We're going to complete the uh, miniseries. And it was just, it was little things like that. But in terms of, you know, like an overall kind of like mission statement, I think he just like kind of wanted to improve things and, mm-hmm. and kind of like, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter who, I mean, you know, there, there were guys who probably weren't crazy about Eric when he was publisher. There were guys who weren't crazy about Jim when he was publisher. And I'm, I'm sure there's people who are like, oh man, I, I, uh, that guy, I don't want to, I don't want to work with Eric Stevenson. So it's like, I think Eric was like, well, the guys who didn't like Jim, I, I will, I will now bring them over here. Mm-hmm. And, or, or the guys that Jim didn't like, because there, there were definitely guys too that like Jim, like wasn't as crazy about their work as Eric was. And so Eric was like, okay, I'm going to bring that guy in. And that's just like, there, there are always d- different people like different people. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So there was some of that going on, but yeah, I think, I think really it was just like Eric thought things were going in the wrong direction and he wanted to kind of turn, turn the boat around. Yeah. And you were there. Yeah. I mean, you said you were sharing the office. You were right. Right. Together. Yeah. At that point you're working with him and it's, you know, it's the image partners. Those are the guys that make decisions and run yep. the show and you are, you're not, you're not one of them. Right. But you're doing a lot of the work. You're shouldering a certain amount of burden. Was there a certain point where you go, did you, did it ever register? Like I might be next in line to take over? No. Never? Yeah. It's, it's kind of a weird thing because, uh, not that you had designs on it, but at a certain point you're like doing a lot of stuff over here. Well, no, well, yeah, that's the thing is, I mean, it's, it's like, yeah, it was like, I'm doing a lot of stuff over here. And, and there would definitely be days when like Eric would be sitting at the drawing board, like drawing Savage <laughs> Dragon and I'm like doing like the, the company stuff yeah. that I, I, I would feel, I guess, conflicted about because I, you know, it's, it's like, I mean, I love Eric like a brother. Yeah. And uh, so I'm just like, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't want to complain. You know, I just, it, it was this thing where I was like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this, but there was never a point where I was like, I should be doing this job. Right. right. I was just like, my, kind of the way I always looked at it was like, I want him to do more. As a, I don't want him to be drawing the dragon there. I want him to be, you know, doing more of this stuff. I think we would be more effective if we were both focused on the company stuff. And then were you so focused on the company stuff that, because I imagine if you conceived of Nowhere Men. Oh, no, yeah. That, that during that period, myself and a guy named Terry Stevens, who Robert Kirkman had hooked me up with, we had done kind of like a, a, a oh, well, there was like two stories that appeared in the back of Invincible that Terry drew. Which I learned about, but I never saw them because I read Invincible Trade. So right. I didn't, I didn't see those. Well, anyway, yeah, they, they were in there. And then Terry developed a carpal tunnel and he had to go through rehabilitation from that. And, and he, Ter- Terry's day job was working with computers. And it, it's just like over the, it got to a point where I was like, yeah, we can't keep doing this. And, and he was like, you know what? I'm, I'm out. But yeah, so yeah, that was like happening. I, I had a bunch of ideas for things I wanted to do around that time. Because one, I you'd mentioned Four Letter Worlds earlier. And yeah. I had done that. And I, I did a you know another like slice of life story in it, which all, all of my slice of life st- stories are like semi autobiographical. Sure. Um, a, a Roman a clef, I think is the expression. You know that yeah. thing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like that one was it's it, it's a guy talking about being divorced, which at the time I was divorced, and and kind of the whole idea of the story was like people ask about you know hey so so how how did that feel? And I would be like yeah oh, man. It's like it's been so long at this point. I, it, it's it's almost like I don't remember being being married. <laughs> but anyway, so I'd done that, and then I did a couple other short stories. I did one, another one with Jamie McKelvey in Negative Burn, 
it was basically just just there was this weird episode at a record store here in Berkeley that that I was just like I've got to turn that into a story and so there that I did that and then we did an image Christmas special that had I just did these one page things with Tim Seeley throughout the course of the issue where it was like kind of scenes from Christmas Eve in a bar mm. And so in addition to wanting to do Nowhere Man, I was like, oh, I want to kind of like build up like a bunch of these cool short stories and then eventually like put out a, a, you know, a book of that stuff. But yeah, it was tough to do that while I was also doing, you know, the office work because it's, you know, it's, it, it can be very, very, you know, grinding. Sure. You know, what little I know of image structure is a lot of, I mean, just even without knowing the structure, a lot of independent creators doing independent things. And as a publisher, you're, you're, you know, you have guys helping out, you know, traffic managers and things. Sure. Well, and at that time though, we had even, we all had like half like the eight, staff that like we have now. There. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I yeah. remember it, going, I, that was the first time I came to the office. First right. time I met you and it was, it was like six guys, the bullpen, a receptionist, and then you and Eric were, yep. you know, and I, an accountant. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. It was, I mean, that was, it's like now we have 14 people working here and that's like this huge <laughs> step up from what it was before. So yeah, like back at that point, it, it, you know, there, there were a lot of long hours. And, and it's, it's a, it's a, a reputation that dogs image for better or worse, but there are plenty of creators that aren't on the ball. And as a publisher, I can imagine there's a bit of, of whip cracking and uh, yeah, some of it. Can. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's like, that's one of the things. It's like I think we got you know early on. Image had a had was was I think stigmatized by late shipping, but I think that that kind of I think Valentino turned that around to a large degree, and then definitely when Eric and I were were running things at first, that became a priority to to make sure that we were getting stuff out. And yeah, but I mean, it's it's no, there's there there are definitely a lot of moving parts, you know, with, with as many books as we publish. All that to say, it's a distraction from you being... From being creative, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because a lot of times it's like, if, if you're in the office for 12 hours and, and then when you get off work, the last thing you want to do is go home and think about comic books again. Yeah. And yeah, I went through you know a period where I just was like, oh, yeah, I can't do this. And then especially when Terry and I kind of, kind of realized that that wasn't going anywhere, I was like, yeah, I'm just probably never going to write again. But then uh, I guess it was 2009. Yeah. A couple of years in a row, I would fly back to Kentucky and then drive up to uh, Robert's place in Lexington, and then we would drive down to the Baltimore Comic Con. Right. And the second time that happened, he was sharing a space with Corey Walker and Nate Belgard. And I came in and asked, uh, I had my sketchbook with me, and I asked both of them to do sketches for me. And Nate was like, I'll, I'll do one on, on the ride down. And it's like, he did this great Hector Plasm sketch. And it's just like, when I got it, I was like, man, that is, that is beautiful. And I got to talking to Ryan Otley in Baltimore. Just he was like, "Hey, how come you don't do stuff anymore?" And I was like, "Yeah, I just can't find anyone to work with." Thing with Terry didn't work out. And he's like, "Why don't you do something with Nate?" And I was like, "Huh?" And I it just like kind of hit me. I was like, "Yeah, I'm looking at this sketch. It's great." And I asked Robert. I said, "So what's Nate doing for you next?" And he's like, "Nate and I aren't doing anything together after the thing he's working on right now, which I think was Brit." And and so I wound up talking to Nate in, in the hotel bar and saying, hey, I, I've got this idea I've been like chipping away at for forever. I can send you like this gigantic document that I have amassed <laughs> and you, you can kind of see if it's something you're interested in. And he wrote back and was like, yeah, I totally want to do this. And so then we started like building things up from there. And and then it became at that point, it was like, OK, well, I was publisher at that point, actually, too, which is weird because it's it's like 
you know, technically I had even more work than I had before because Eric was not, there, sure. there was no Eric in the picture to help out on, on any level. But yeah, then, then I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go home at night and I'm going to plug away at this. And, and so we started, you know, for whatever reason, it just felt ha having Nate involved, it felt right where I was like, okay, now we're going to do this. Right. So, and, and I guess what I'm saying is it, it made it sound, uh, like the effort I was putting into it wasn't for, for nothing at that point. And so right, it was had, a lot more fun to go home and do it. Yeah, yeah. You had move there was momentum. There was Right. Let's talk about you as publisher and nowhere man. Let's try and talk about these in, in some sort of coincidence. Okay. The publisher stuff I'm actually gonna do pretty quickly. Okay. Because while it's interesting, I think you might be more interested in talking about nowhere men anyway. I am interested in talking about anything. Alright, then we're gonna cover all of it as much as we can. Basically, as a publisher, I feel like you've you've certainly achieved several feathers in your cap and feathers in images cap because a lot of the things that have dogged image for a long time, as we just discussed, people are starting to turn around a little bit, and you know you get named comics person of the year by one person, and you get uh, you know there's you're getting critical acclaim for Nowhere Men. A, a lot of people could point to Saga, and the fact that Brian Cavon came back to comics, as I mean you you essentially help make that happen if not made that happen well that was me and robert yeah but you you know you helped develop these relationships right. and, and you know you have a relationship with jay ferber who has a relationship with brian it's like it's well a, yeah i mean yeah that yeah. kind of all goes back to that because when when i when i first wanted to do the four letter worlds thing i had this idea because at the time it was jay brian jeff johns and devin grayson were all kind of pals yeah and i was like oh it'd be cool if since each chapter was like four stories the four of you guys all did one of the chapters and for a variety of reasons that never worked out. But then also right around the same time that Robert launched the walking dead, why the last man started and Jay had been telling me like for months when this comic comes out, you, you were going to have like a brand new favorite comic book. Yeah. And it came out and I was like, yeah, holy shit, this is awesome. And so since I'd been kind of in contact with Brian already, I was like, hey, anytime you want to come to Image and do something, you got to come here and do that. So there's like me bugging him and bugging Jay. And then when Robert went over and started doing stuff at Marvel, he came on to Ultimate X-Men after Brian. Yeah. And they kind of talked and developed a relationship. And then he's like, hey, you know, you should come over to Image and do stuff. And... Yeah, it was just kind of like for, for years, we just kept kind of floating. Like there was a point when like Robert and I went to dinner with Brian down in L.A. And then Robert or sorry, Brian gave an interview where he talked about not wanting to do work for hire anymore. Yes. That, that he said for anything I do in comics after this point is, is going to be creator owned. Yeah. And at that point, I I had emailed him and I said, hey, so I, I hope that means that if, if you're going to just be doing creator owned stuff, you're going to do it at Image. And he was like. Yeah, when I come back to comics, it, it'll be image. Right. And he said, I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but when I do, I will let you know. And so a couple of years into that, he, he starts talking to both Robert and myself and saying, yeah, you know what? I, I've got an idea. If, if, if it isn't a shitty idea, we'll talk about it some more. And it was just like, kind of like this step-by-step -step process. But yeah. And it sort of dovetails with, you know, Robert becoming a partner and him putting out that the, the statement that he put out that, Right, fifty percent of people didn't quite understand, but it was a nice call to arms, and, and it certainly feels like Brian coming over, and certainly Hickman and all these guys. But Brian specifically is really walking the walk of I'm only doing 
you can't get Brian K. Vaughn anywhere else. Right. This is where you got to come for it. And that actually brought the question of, did you stop doing the blog because you wanted Nowhere Men to be the only place to get uh, no, yeah, the, 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 yeah. I wish it was as well thought out as that. No, I just kind of got to the point where I felt you ran out of Wednesday girls. <laughs> that was getting to be a chore because yeah, it, it's the whole reason I did it. It was was I started off doing like oh these, these are like actresses or musicians or or even like models from the '60s who I admired for one reason or another, yeah. and then I was getting to a point where I was just like, yeah, I'm really starting to like have to scratch my head to come up with one of those but no that was the, the kind of the bigger thing was just as i was doing anything on the blog it got to be it it just felt like work and where i was like oh i've got to go home and do the blog and and the the whole reason i started doing it was basically to entertain myself and and for fun mm. and it's it stopped being fun and became work and i was like yeah you know i think that i'm you know i'm I'm writing comics at this point. I should be putting this energy into that. And uh, if I do a blog again, I should figure out a way to come up with something more interesting than what I'm doing now. So it's kind of like it's interesting because there's a blog I go to called What Will Tyler Durden Do? Okay. It's like a Hollywood gossip. Yeah, it's been around a long time. Yeah, it's been around a long time. And like it's it's kind of going through some it's it's yeah they were like a couple of weeks ago they were like days without anything posted and like the guy who does it is like oh yeah i've i've been kind of slacking off and things aren't as funny as they used to be and blah 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 and he's talking about all the reasons why that is but basically he's burnt out on it yeah. which is you know that that's that's you know if it took him several years for that to happen to him great but yeah for me it was like i did this for like two years and i was like eh, i need a break from it but at the same time which which very very frequently i will have something that I feel like talking about where I was like, Oh yeah, if I had a blog, I could just go on there and say what I think about this. Yeah. But now I tend to just keep, keep thinking to myself a little bit more. Well, on the one hand you do, but on the other hand, you're, you're pretty well known. I think you are in interviews. You are, I don't want to say outspoken because that's not the right word. You, you, you shoot straight. You give, you give straight talk, I guess would be the, Goofy way of saying it. Well, I just uh, you um, answer questions without the the appearance of of spin or any kind of publicity talk. Well, yeah, I mean, well, it's just I I kind of think all of that stuff's bullshit. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you uh, read like you read on on Newsroom or whatever where it's it's Axel Alonso doing his thing or Bob Harrison, Bobby Chase, and, you know, and it's there's a lot of talking around questions or. You get a question and the answer comes back and it's not really and then you know you'll read an interview with you on i can't even think of the sites but certainly your conversations with rich johnston on bleeding cool it's not even that there there's contentiousness but you don't you don't what's the word i'm looking for oh i think there was contentiousness um well no that's what i mean but like you're not taking any of it you're just like, oh yeah 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 you um know, yeah, he did come at you a couple of times. And yeah, you... for, for whatever reason, that guy's got it in for me. But uh, no, yeah, no. I mean, well, it's just to me, I, I, I don't know what the point is of if, if you're not going to give someone an honest answer, then then why bother like agreeing to the interview? You know, <laughs> if, if I, I'm sympathetic to people like Bobby and Bob 
or Axel or whoever, because, you know, the great thing about image is, you know, it, it's owned by, you know, these five creative people yeah. as opposed to two gigantic corporations. And so I, I, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I, I kind of feel like even if those guys did want to come out and just kind of give you the straight talk that, that, you know, they might catch some flack for that. Yeah. Or maybe that's just who they are. But yeah, I just don't see the point. And I mean, it's, it's, it's not as fun to try and sit there and kind of like put all the pieces together for whatever story you're trying to build as opposed to just saying, yeah, this is, this is how that works. Now in a, in a business where, again, outspoken is the wrong word, but being, being straight up with stuff, you know, it seems to, and I talked to Larson about this. Sometimes it gets him into a bit of trouble. Oh, no, well, people don't always like it. No, yeah. I'm sure that there's plenty of people who think I'm an asshole. So <laughs> it's, it's, because the other thing is, it's like, I mean, the, the one side of it is the interview stuff. And then the other thing is, it's like, there are people who have kind of said, oh, man, your emails are awfully terse. And it's just because it's like, yeah, because I get, you know, a couple hundred of them a day. And I'm just trying to, like, move through things. <laughs> you, you wrote to me and had a question. I gave you the answer to your question. I'm sorry I didn't, you know, stop and chat with you about the weather. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I write very long emails. And then yeah. And I write a one-sentence response. You're like, I got a response. Yeah, yeah. I'll, and and, I'll and I'm not doing it to, you know, be a dick or whatever. But it, it's just like... I'm trying to manage my time. <laughs> but then also, I mean, it, it's just like sometimes, you know, you tell somebody, you, you give someone your honest opinion and that's not the opinion they wanted to hear, you know? And that happens. Uh, you can't kind of backtrack and say, oh, well, here, now I'm going to, you know, you know, kind of candy coat things. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, I, 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 I think with Eric, <laughs> Eric's problem is that he's on Twitter and Facebook a little too much, <laughs> whereas I'm not on Twitter and Facebook at all. Yeah, I, th I think there's, when someone is asking your opinion, I think that's one thing where you say, okay, this this is what I think, as opposed to just giving people your opinion yeah. all day and, long, and whether they just, want it or not. You know, not to throw Eric under the bus, is, you know, he's not an image partner anymore, but certainly Rob Liefeld has done all kinds of online Sure, opinion. all kinds of yeah. people have. I mean, it's, it's no, it's, it's, that's it's just, to, to me, it's, that's the, the worst thing about Twitter specifically is it's, it's just. There are all of these people who just seem to like turn the filter off when they log on there. A and, lot of noise. And, yeah, and I'm just like, hey, maybe maybe everybody could be a bit, you know, consider your words a little bit more wisely. Of course. So but I only bring up those guys because in your career, those are the guys that right, right. You know, those those. It's just it's interesting that you take the approach of of being less less transparent but also transparent when somebody asks you a question it's transparent you give right. your answer and it's interesting that that translates to nowhere men boom transition <laughs> <laughs> and and how you how you've approached that book and promoting that book and even writing that book you're not particularly the promoting of it and we've talked about this and you've talked about it in interviews that you're not you're not going to explain everything you're not going to tell somebody what they're getting. Until well, with you the read. promotion, that was very specific. Just that I, I, the thing I always go back to is that w when I was a kid, and I, I, I would see commercials on TV for Star Wars, and like there's there's one that really sticks in my mind, which is is I don't remember what the beginning of it was, but then it's like Bam Star Wars logo, and then it's you know a Tuscan Raider getting ready to attack Luke, and I'm just like sold. I'm I'm there for that movie. I have no idea what that is, but I want to go see it. And that was the way movie trailers and commercials were back then. And I, I would get, you know, super interested in things. And sometimes you would go and see it and it would be terrible. Other times you would go and see it and it would be Star Wars. 
like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. As a kid, I did not understand that movie at all. But just all of the marketing for that, where I was like, oh my gosh, what is going on? That looks crazy. Totally got me in the doors for that. And that was kind of what... That was what I wanted to do with Nowhere Man, but at the same time, I think all comics could benefit from doing that a little bit more. Well, when you think about the things that, you know, before we started recording, or maybe it was on the recording, we're talking about Cabin in the Woods, Mm -hmm. which is a movie that I... Just hearing like it's a thing worth seeing, or I can go back further to. I remember seeing the trailer for Magnolia, right? And that trailer is so beautiful and so nebulous, and you go, "I need to see this movie. Like, I need to know what this is all about." Right. Well, I think that's. I think Mark with marketing less is definitely more sometimes, <laughs> and I really, yeah, I, I don't know. Part of it is to me, I'm, I'm just like it. This, I guess this just like kind of makes me out to be old, but. You know, when I was younger, there wasn't all this information out there and you could kind of hear about things by word of mouth yeah. and discover things. And, you know, just kind of all of the work that we'd put into this, I felt that the best way to come to it was with as little knowledge as possible and then kind of learn as you went along. So now in the process of writing this thing, you're doing things in the writing that are interesting because I think you're writing it for a slightly older audience. Right. Well, I mean, I'm I'm basically writing it for me. So, but you now are you in your twenties? Like what? Like you right now? I'm just writing something I would be interested in reading. Okay. So you currently? I'm not thinking of myself with any age. I'm just like, what? What? What would I want to read? That question comes from a because I mean, here's the thing: is it's like one of something that I used to actually have this quote put up above my desk. This was around the time that uh, the the latter years of the extreme stuff with like Chris Browse and stuff was I had read an interview where Stanley was talking about how he came up with Fantastic Four and, and he had talked about how Martin Goodman had said, Hey, I was playing golf with the guy from DC yeah, and, and 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 he said that the Justice League is doing really well and uh, Stan goes home and, and, and tells his wife, yeah, they want me to do the superhero thing. Like the Justice says, why League. don't you do it the way you want Run, to do it? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and so Stan started doing comics the way he wanted them to be. Right. And I was just like, that is such a great story. And so I had like this paragraph that used to be up above my, my computer. And yeah, so that's, I mean, it's like, yeah, you should do stuff that you're going to enjoy because if you don't enjoy it, why would anyone else enjoy it? Now, this comes from my own recent, and it's something I'm talking to a lot of people about is when you're writing a thing, writing for your audience and your audience can be yourself. But if I'm writing a thing for kids, I'm writing a thing for the nine year old version of me. And I'm tracking back to what was my deal. So that's, that's where that question. So, so you're writing this thing. And I, I asked you, I'm like, you're not really using locator captions. You're not using timestamps. You're not, you're not always telling us where we are. Mm -hmm. And it creates an experience of reading it where you're not playing catch up. You're not like what's going on, but you are sort of, in an unsure place where you're not entirely sure, at least for me. Well, the, the timestamp thing was, I mean, it's like the first issue, it starts off and it says... It does say it jumps, it jumps ahead. I think it says years ago or some time ago, and then it says sometime later, and it says now. Yes. And it has been now ever, ever since then, unless we get a flashback. Right. And the now, the, the whole reason I did that is because, I, I mean, this this is may, may sound... Uh, well, the, 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 the kind of the conceit is that if you read this book, you know, if you start reading it two years from now, now is when you are reading it. Right. Because, you know, we, we've the, the world that we're working with 
it's, it's obviously not the world outside our window, yeah. but it's also, you know, not in the future and it's not in the past. So it's this kind of this nebulous thing where it's like, well, whoever, wh whatever year you start reading this book, it's happening now. Yeah, I'm not saying a timestamp as in 815, but I, I remember in, I think it's, is it issue three that starts out in the desert? Mm -hmm. And maybe it's because I saw that scene and it flashed to me of the opening of The Exorcist or the beginning of, of Close Encounters, mm -hmm. where it's this thing that just is, seems out of place with what's about to happen. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was a, and I, I look forward to keep reading it because there's a part it's like, okay, this looks like it's wreckage, obviously. And that satellite did blow up in, in the issue. So it's like, this could be that satellite, but this could also be a hundred years from now. And that's me maybe jumping ahead in my own brain. Right. Yeah. But it makes it in, it, it just builds this tapestry wider and it's clearly you're building this. Well, no. Yeah. Well, part of it is too, is to keep people asking questions because yeah. Yeah, it's funny. It's like there were some people who didn't like the book in their reviews. They're like, well, why Why don't I know this? Why don't I know this? And this other thing over here, I, I don't know this. And it's like, well, good. You, you're not supposed to know those things. You will right. find out later. And even all the people on the satellite that go through that portal, mm -hmm. they didn't know where that portal was going. So when those yep. those three end up on that beach, it could be any time. Any, like it's, it could be anywhere. Yep. So there is a – there is – and it's funny because you read the interviews and stuff where you say, like, I don't I don't want everybody you don't need to know everything, you'll find out that you know, party's like, How how what kind of unsure footing does he want us on as readers? And it's just interesting that it's it all seems very intentional. Well no, well I mean yeah, it's a lot of it is like kind of serving up the information in in a way that doesn't like put everything out there all at once. And 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 again, I've been collecting notes for this for over <laughs> ten years, so I have a lot of information to sift through and I'm like, okay, how much of this do I want to give right now? How much do I want to give later? And, and what's going to be, you know, the most interesting part of that to give. Do you worry about, as we talk, discussed the comic scene interview with Rob Liefeld, mm -hmm. where in the interview, it sounded like one thing, but in execution, it didn't. Do you worry that this thing that's been in your head for so long and you put so much mental energy into it, that, that the delivery of that information won't live up to what you've built in your head? Um, no, I mean, I mean, like in, in terms of, I mean, the, the biggest problem with, with whatever interviews I'd done beforehand and, and with the marketing we had done for it was that like, we really focused on the four scientists who started world core yeah. and, and kind of, uh, you know, there's the whole science is the new rock and roll tagline. And then this, you know, Oh, they're the fab four of science. Now, a lot of people I think were like, Oh, well this book is about the Beatles of science. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, no, that's not what the book is about. It, it, I mean, it is about them, but, you know, there's a lot of other things going on. It's not like we're just doing this thing where these guys are walking around being famous scientists all day because that would be a boring comic book. Right, super scientists. Um, yeah. Saving the day with four Reed Richardses. Yeah, and, I mean, yeah, you're going to get, all of that is going to be salted in over the course of the book, but at the same time, it's like there's other stuff that, that gradually more and more stuff happens. Right. That relates to them but not all of it is directly related to them. And so, yeah, that's the thing where th there are some people who are either disappointed that that's not the case because they wanted to read the book about four Reed Richards walking around <laughs> or they're elated because they were bored to death of the idea of four Reed Richards walking around. Like, like Brandon Graham wrote me after the first issue came out and he was like, man, I am so glad that this is not what I originally thought it was going to be. And it happens by page three. Yeah. Like the, the Well, I mean, yeah, because that stuff is I was just like I want to kind of get through the backstory and move into what is happening now. Yeah. 
and again, that was done very deliberately. It's like years ago, a little while later, now. Now, now let's talk about now. So then now you, you've got this thing going. Mm -hmm. It's been in your head for so long. It had a false start in whatever year that issue of Invincible was. You clearly have a long-term plan or a relatively long-term plan yep. for this thing. Do you do, do you worry that like the or this probably isn't the case because it's collaborative, so you're working with other people, so that probably pumps you up a little more. As oh, no. we talked about, right? So, is there any fear of getting bored? No, because actually, one of the cool things is like like doing the 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 ads and the posters and the articles and book excerpts and stuff. That was like a late addition to what we were doing. That came from just thinking, you know what, two ninety nine for a comic book is very expensive. We should pack as much stuff in here as possible. Let's do it in a way that actually fleshes out the experience for people and kind of makes it more immersive. And I don't, I think if we had been working with someone other than Phonographics, uh, Stephen Finch, we probably wouldn't have hit on that. But it was just like Stephen had done these great, he did these book covers for like Watchmen, X Men, Fantastic Four that were done to look like 60s paperbacks. And he had such a knack for like getting into different periods and, and kind of replicating that style. That it was like, oh, well, what if we did this? And like one of the first things we did was we decided that the inside front cover was going to be a poster that was like the announcement for, it was like a poster advertising this this, this World Corps mm -hmm. announcement. And he did that so well where it was like, oh man, that that is like stylistically so perfect. We should do more stuff like that. And it, it's going to just kind of pull the whole book together. But in doing stuff like that, Steve and Nate and I, it's it's like there there are things that I know I want to do, and then they're like, oh hey, well what if we did this? And that goes into my head, and then I start like thinking about whatever suggestions they've had, which will then give me different ideas. And then the same with Nate, just Nate. There are like incidental characters Nate has drawn into the book where I was just like, wow, he or she looks so cool. They're going to take on a larger role in this book, mm -hmm. and 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 it just kind of. It's kind of like I've got all this material that I want to get to, but then I'm getting other input from Nate and from Steven and uh, and also just sometimes from everyday life that like, like, oh, how do I fit that into what I already want to do? You formed your rock band. Well, yeah, that's, which is kind of the cool <laughs> thing is, I, I mean, it, it, it's like me, Nate, Steven and Jordy. Uh, it, it is kind of cool because we're like this little unit that, you know, we put out every the whole yeah. thing and and. It's it, it, it's funny because the whole design of the book with the uh, credits on the back and the UBC on the back and everything is, is something I've wanted to do for years because, you know, with the 45, you get it. There's artwork on the cover. On the back, you turn it over, and it's got all the copyright info and everything. Right, and track like, listings and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and I'm like, why, why doesn't comics do this? And so, yeah, it's it's kind of like we're, we're putting together our, our you know, our, our singles. So. And do you still play guitar ever? You know, it's funny because I just moved this weekend and uh, w one of the last things I moved was my guitar because I, I, I just have an acoustic guitar now. I used to have like three electric guitars and an acoustic guitar that I gradually sold off over the years. But yeah, I, I was like, oh, I do not think I played that guitar the entire time I lived here. <laughs> and, and it's like so it's it's like a year and a half I've been living in this this apartment in North Berkeley. And, and yeah, I think I just sat in a corner the entire time. But I... Uh, I, I, I play a lot more records than, than, than actual making music myself. Well, when we're not talking about comics, we're usually talking about food. Yep. You want to go eat? We should go eat. All right. Thanks, Eric. Yep. So you want to be a rock and roll star, then listen now to what I say.
All right, regular listeners, here's the question. How many of you thought you were going to hear either introing or outroing that conversation, the song Nowhere Man by the Beatles? Come on. You people who listen to every episode were probably thinking he's going to use Nowhere Man. And guess what? I did not use Nowhere Man. I went a little peppier. Nowhere Man is a kind of a... You know, it's not an up-tempo number. Anyway, that was that was my talk with Eric Stevenson. Sort of a, a career retrospective in a lot of ways. And, I don't know, I like talking about it. I probably could have talked to him for another... Well, like anybody I talk to. I could talk to people for a long time. But dinner was calling. And if anyone's curious, we eat Mexican food. Alright, the, uh, the usual spiel is going to come in a moment. For anybody that came to the show through the Eric Larson episode and are sticking around, thank you. Welcome aboard. Hope you enjoyed this one. Hope you enjoyed the last one. If you've gone into the back catalog, welcome to the show. If you're listening to the first time because of Eric Stevenson, welcome to the show. Please go back and listen to more. All right, here's here's what you need to know about all of that. Visit StuffSaidShow.com for show notes, guest links, bonus materials, all past episodes, and to leave comments. Email the show directly at stuffsaid at gmail.com and follow the show on Twitter at StuffSaidShow. Subscribe to the show in iTunes where you can rate it and leave a review to help others find the show. Stuff Said is part of the Acne Wave Projector Network at acnewaveprojector.com. Thanks to Craig Chin at rudeanagrams.com for the show's opening theme song. And for more about me, Greg Schiegel, visit Hatter Entertainment, H-A-T-T-E-R, entertainment.com. You got all that, America listeners? Was that all clear? If it's not, let me know. I'll make it clearer. Otherwise, that's about all the stuff I have left to say. See you next time. Yeah, I like Cabin in the Woods a lot. It's one of the movies this year that... That and uh, Safety Not Guaranteed. You see that? I haven't seen that one. That was good. Yeah, no, Cabin in the Woods, I think I saw three times in the theater. And then my parents hadn't seen it. So when I was at home for Christmas, I was like you guys have to see this movie. This is awesome. And they were like, yeah. and then we watched it. And then it's like, when I just seen it for the fourth time, I was still totally into it. And I, only they loved saw it, it too. I only saw it the one time, but I was talking. La, 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 la.